Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. If you haven't found your way there yet, I'm looking in the back. It looks like we don't have any other outlines uh, left here today. I hope you grabbed one of those on your way in. Acts chapter number 2. We're going to find our text of Scripture here uh, for our study in the Word of God this morning. And uh, I was telling uh, Brother Agagenian that... uh, We're all charged up and ready to go. This is such a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture, and I'm excited to be able to preach the Word of God to you here today. Now, we are very soon approaching the summer months uh, here, and how many of you are looking forward to summer? All right. Uh, Warmer weather is nice. I like summers out here because they don't get too hot normally, and they cool down quite a bit in the evenings, and I like the longer days. I like the changing of the season. I like the uh, slower uh, schedule, the consistently uh, warmer weather that we're able to enjoy. I like fishing. How many of you are with me? Hallelujah. Okay. Um, And now I'm talking some of your language, but I like summer, and uh, with the changing of this season, God has placed it on my heart to cast some vision for how He desires to grow our church through this upcoming summer season. And we are coming out of what many of you know has been a very busy and a very fruitful spring season. And uh, to the glory of God, we praise the Lord that nearly 60 souls have trusted Jesus as their Savior so far this year. And uh, we're so grateful for that. We're thankful for those who've been baptized and for those who have joined together with us in our church. We're grateful for so many guests, uh, among, uh, among whom many of you are some of those guests I'm talking about, have begun coming to our church throughout this first part of the year. And I would say that we had, we've had such a fantastic evangelistic effort that's been put on by this church family. And so many of you have worked so hard um, and, uh, and putting on all the, all the activities and all the events and all the things that have been going on throughout this spring season. But if I'm being honest, I have, I'd have to say, in, as I've sought the Lord in prayer, that I, I feel that we've gotten a little bit out of balance in, in the pursuits that we have been after. Not that it's been wrong, but I think it's, it would be wrong for us to continue at this pace. Um, and so the Lord has spoken to my heart about sharing some things with you as a church family um, as we move forward into this summer season. And uh, the fact is, we focus so much on reaching new people that we haven't been really good at balancing ministering to the people God's already brought in. And I believe that both are critically important. One person put it to me this way once. He said, there's a front door to the church and there's a back door to the church. You need to look, you need to look after both of them. Both of them are important. And so throughout this summer, God has impressed upon my heart to lead our church back in a healthy direction as we move forward. Now, our theme this year for our church that we've been focusing on is built by Jesus. It comes from Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And by God's grace, we want to be a church that is being built by the saving And the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ and His Spirit in each one of our lives. And as we have discovered, as we've studied this subject throughout this year, this type of growth that God wants to bring to His church is not merely numerical. But it is primarily spiritual growth. And even as we grow in numbers, there ought to be a proportionate growth that is taking place in us growing spiritually, individually, in our faith as a body of Christ. 
As Jesus builds us up, he also wants to build us out simultaneously. And so both are important. And we ought not forsake one in an attempt to focus on the other. And so with these introductory thoughts in mind, I turn your attention to Acts chapter number 2. God gives us in this chapter a glimpse of the first New Testament church. Beginning in Acts 2 and verse number 41. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Let's read some scripture starting in verse 41. The Bible says, And they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Can you read that last sentence of verse 47 out loud with me? Let's read it together. And the Lord added to the church daily. This was a church that I think we could, it's safe to say they experienced incredible numerical growth. I mean, they went from being a church of 120 to being a church of over 3,000 in a day. And uh, I'd say that is pretty incredible numerical growth that took place. And yet, what we also find about this church is that even as God grew this church numerically, we see a proportionate growth spiritually that was taking place. And I believe that this church embodied the qualities of balance that God desires for us as His church today. And so listen to me on this question How can we embody these characteristics that identify a church that Jesus builds? How can we be this kind of church? And I want you to notice as we look at what the Bible tells us about this church, nine common characteristics of a church that Jesus builds. And as we study these, may our hearts cry be, Lord, may we be that kind of church. Let's pray together and ask God to bless our time in His Word. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we're grateful for the time of worship we've already enjoyed together. Singing songs of revival, singing songs of victory, singing songs uh, worshiping you and your name, hearing songs uh, uh, sung today, uh, all to your glory. We're grateful for the time we've already enjoyed together. Now, Lord, I pray that you turn our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. And I pray, God, that we would be the type of church that you are desiring to build. We don't want to be a church that is fabricated by the efforts of men. We want to be a church built by the power of your spirit and all to your glory and all so that we may accomplish your great mission for us of winning people to Jesus Christ and seeing them grow in their faith. And I pray God you'd set me aside. I ask that you bless our time as we enter into this time of focus on your word and may the truth that comes forward be the thing that is most on display. And I pray, God, that you would minister to individual needs as only you can by the power of your Spirit. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Nine common characteristics of a church that Jesus builds. First off, if you're taking notes, I want you to note down that a church that Jesus builds is built by conversions. 
It is built by conversions. Now, notice with me the Bible as we begin in chapter number two. Chapter two, in chapter two, is recorded for us the early days of the first church. Now, understand the church was not established here in Acts two. The church was established when Jesus began to call out his disciples uh, early on in his ministry. What happened here was that the church was in power. The church, the Holy Spirit of God came down and indwelled those early believers who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. And in the events of this chapter, they have come to be called the day of Pentecost. And many of you have probably heard of Pentecost before. And on this day, God's Spirit came down to indwell those first believers in Jesus Christ. About 120 of them, the Bible tells us. And as, the, as a result of the filling of the Spirit of God, they began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and as they began to declare the gospel of Christ, this is what happened in verse 41. Again, I read, it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so, after God's Spirit empowered His church to preach the gospel, what happened? A lot of people got saved. The Bible says that, that the people who were listening to the message, they received the word of the gospel that had been preached by Peter on that day. In verse 41, that word received comes from a Greek word, uh, apodekomai, that means to accept something that is offered. That's what it means, received. And so what the Bible tells us is that these people accepted Jesus as their personal Savior on this day. There were people who were getting saved. And can I say, in a healthy church, it should be commonplace for people to get saved. Amen. It should be commonplace. For people to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Can I tell you the primary reason that God has left us behind as believers on this earth? The reason why He doesn't just take us right to heaven as soon as we trust Him as our Savior is because He has a mission for us. He has a commission that He has given us. Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20 tell us the words of Jesus where He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now that word teach comes from a Greek word that literally means to make disciples. Jesus said, church, go and make other disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Go, tell other people about me. And as you go and tell other people about me, by the power of my spirit, I'm going to enable you to, 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 to lead other people to receive me as their Savior and become followers of me even as you are. And friend, this is the mission that Jesus has given us as the church. And as the church, we are Jesus' representatives on this earth who have been commissioned to share with the world the good news of Jesus Christ and to invite them to trust in Him as their Lord and Savior and to spend their life living for His purposes. That's the mission. That's something that should be normal in a healthy church. A healthy church should be a place where people, are, people come to and they are invited to personal faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Understand, this was the last command that Jesus gave to us. And it ought to be our first priority as the church. So I want you to listen to me. I'm going to get practical. This summer, I want to challenge every person who's a part of this church to get involved with sharing your faith. Now we're going to have organized times throughout the summer that you can get involved with. On Wednesday afternoons at 4 o'clock, we're going to go out into our community and share 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. On Saturdays at 10 a.m., we're going to do the same thing. And some of you, you may have never personally been involved with sharing your faith with other people, but I'm going to challenge you to get involved with that during these summer months. It's so important. God has not just commanded a preacher. God has commanded every believer to go and share their faith with other people. You say, well, pastor, I might not be able to come at one of those organized times. Well, friend, I want to challenge you this summer to seek to share your faith with someone in your workplace, with someone in your family. And by the way, if you don't know how to share your faith with someone, we're going to have a class this summer every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock throughout June and the first part of July. We're going to have a class where I'm going to teach you Bible verses and teach you how to share your faith with someone else. Because friends, this is what the church is supposed to be about. One of the signs of a healthy church is that they are a church where people are getting saved. And we understand that God is the one that does the drawing and God is the one that does the saving. But God has chosen also to use us as His vessels to communicate the gospel to people who are lost. And God help us to be the kind of church where it's a normal plan, normal thing for people to be saved. And so a church that Jesus builds is built, first off, by conversions. Number two, it is built by commitment. It is built by commitment. Now, if you're still with me, say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse number 41 that after all these precious souls were saved, this is what happened next. It says that after they had received His Word, they were what? Baptized, and the same day there were what? Added unto them about 3,000 souls. Those who received Christ as their Savior were immediately encouraged to follow that decision by being publicly baptized. And then the Bible says that after they were baptized, that they were added to that local church assembly. Now that word added, it comes from a Greek word that indicates that they were literally joined to a group. They were joined to an assembly. And let me say this, in a healthy church, it should be commonplace for people who have been saved to take the next step spiritually. It should be a common thing, a commonplace thing for this to happen. Now the Bible is crystal clear that once you get saved, once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your first step after being saved is to be baptized. It is to be publicly baptized. And nearly every time you read of someone getting saved in the Bible, not very long after it, you know what you find? They're getting baptized. Because that was the practice in the New Testament. And it should still be our practice today. Now in verse 41, the word you translated baptized is the Greek baptizo. And it, it literally means to immerse in water. Alright? Never once does baptize mean to sprinkle. Never once does baptize mean to pour a cup of water over someone's head. It always, ever, it always only ever meant to immerse someone completely in water. You know, physical baptism is an outward demonstration of the spiritual baptism that takes place the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 4 talks about. It says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism uh, unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should be raised to walk in newness of life. And boy, the moment you get saved, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And that's what gives you the power to live the Christian life. And physical baptism is just a picture 
picture of that beautiful thing that takes place the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You understand, getting baptized doesn't wash away your sins. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can wash away your sins. But physical baptism is a very important step for you to be able to stand in front of another group of believers and say, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. And boy, thank God for, uh, for the teaching of the Scripture on this. And so my challenge for you is, if you've been saved, but you have never yet been baptized after you've gotten saved, you ought to make the decision to take the next step. Because in a healthy church, it should be commonplace for people to take the next step spiritually. You understand? And uh, by the way, some of you say, well, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. And uh, the Bible doesn't teach that. See, every time you see someone get, getting baptized in the Scripture, it was only ever after they had gotten saved. And I always use this illustration. I didn't put the wedding ring on until after I got married. Okay? Uh, because it's a symbol to everybody else that I am taken. Now, I got a little ring. I gave her a big ring. Because I really want everybody to know she's taken. Okay? The point is, you need to put on the symbol. And uh, spiritually... Uh, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to demonstrate that publicly by being baptized. And I hope you'll make that decision. But that's not all. You see, the Bible says they were baptized, but then also says that they were added to the church. The Bible teaches the importance of church membership, being a member of a local church. And throughout the Bible, believers were encouraged to join together with local assemblies. Whenever they'd move from one town to another town, they were always encouraged to go find another local body of like-minded believers and join themselves to themselves to that group of believers. What does it mean to be a member of a church? Well, to be a member of the church means that you agree together in doctrine with that church. And you strive together to fulfill God's purpose and mission for you as the church. And boy, we teach because the Bible teaches church membership here is so important for every, every believer to get involved. Because listen, in a healthy church, one of the signs of health in a church is that the people are committed. It's not just come in Sunday, sit on a pew, and go home and, and, and live life the way you want it. No, it's coming together as a body because God's given us a mission to accomplish. And we join together as a local body to serve together and to worship together and to accomplish God's mission for us as the church. So if you've been coming... You've been thinking about joining the church. One of the challenges I want to give to you this summer is to take your next step in joining together in membership as a part of this church as God would lead you to. So first off, we see the first characteristic of a healthy church that Jesus builds is it's built by conversions and then it's built by commitment. The third characteristic I want you to see is that it's built by consistency. It's built by consistency. Now notice in your Bible again how consistent the people of this early church were. Look at verse 42. The Bible says, and they, and read the next two words out loud with me, continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. Same word is used in verse 46. Look down at verse 46. The Bible says, and they, read the next two words, continuing daily. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Here is this early church and one of the one of the distinguishing qualities of this early church, one of the common characteristics of this early church is that they continued steadfastly. The Greek word used for both of those uh, words that we just read is uh, proskytereo. 
And it's used two times in, in these two verses that we looked at. And it basically means to be devoted to one or to be steadily attentive to something. In other words, the commitment of these believers was not just a flash in the pan. No, it was something that was maintained over the long haul. These were people who had genuinely trusted in Christ as their Savior and been joined together with their local assembly and they had decided that they were going to live for the cause of Jesus Christ together as a church. And in a healthy church, it should be commonplace for believers to be faithful. It should be commonplace for believers to be committed. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards of the gospel that a man be found faithful. God has an expectation of faithfulness. God doesn't expect perfection because He knows that it is not something that is possible for us in and of our own power. But what God does expect is faithfulness. And by the way, according to the, the, the parables Jesus taught in Matthew, when we as the stewards of God's resources stand before God one day, He's going to look at us and judge us on the basis of faithfulness. He'll, see, he'll say, well done thou good and what? Faithful servant. All right, to those who have been faithful with His resources. That's what God desires from us. Not perfection, but faithfulness. Now I can't always do everything right. But I can show up. I can show up. And you can too. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God put that there. Now the truth is we have a problem of epidemic proportions with faithfulness in the church. Now it's not just in the church. You ask some of these employers here and they'll tell you the same thing. But we feel it in the church. According to a recent survey conducted by the Barna Group, 37% of adults in America attend church weekly. 34% read their Bible at least once a week. And an estimated 69% say that they at least pray once a week. Once a week, mind you. I look at those statistics and I think about the issues of faithfulness that we're experiencing in the time that we're living in. Let me ask you a couple questions and I want you to think about these in your own spirit. How can you grow closer to God if you never spend time with Him? And how can we continue to grow as a church if over half of us hardly ever show up? How can we have effective ministries in our church and effectively minister to our community if members don't show up to serve? Listen, faithfulness is so important. And Jesus elevates the importance of faithfulness and it ought to be a common thing, a commonplace thing in a healthy church for people to be faithful to what the Lord has called them to do. And so my challenge for you this summer church is to be faithful. Listen, I told our staff and, some of, and, some, and all of our ministry leaders and small group leaders, we have intentionally not planned a lot of events this summer. Because I want to make a big deal about the basic things. Being in church together on Sundays. Being a part of a small group every week. Not have all these events that are also taking place that kind of make us think like, well, I don't think I can do small groups too. Alright? Having the regular times of going out and sharing our faith on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Listen, what I'm, what I'm challenging you to determine to do as we begin this summer is to simply be faithful. Faithful to these things that God has called us to be faithful to. 
And that should be a common characteristic of a healthy church. And you're a part of that. Listen, we're all the church. We all make up what this church is. And the onus is on each one of us to obey what the Lord is calling us to do. And so a healthy church is defined by certain characteristics. It is built by conversions. It is built by commitment. It is built by consistency. But a fourth truth I see is that it is built by community. It is built by community. Now look down at the next several verses with me, starting in verse number 42. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. The Bible says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all they that, were believed, that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. One of the things we see as we study this early church is that they were a community of faith. We could put it this way. They were a family. And if you've never been a part of a church family, then you're missing out on something very precious. And very special. And I thank God for the church family that God has blessed us with here. But they were a community of faith. And listen to me. Part of the word community is unity. It's a big part of what a community is supposed to be. That's why the Bible says in verse 46 that they all gathered with one accord. With one mindset. And what we had with this church was that there were, there, there were some wonderful Things that had brought this community of believers together. One of the first things I see is that as believers, we are unified first and foremost by our message. We are unified by our message. You see, the Bible says in verse 42 that they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? Doctrine. That word doctrine simply is talking about teaching and the fabric that holds us together in unity and in community as a church is supposed to be the message of the Word of God. Now listen, we aren't to be, we aren't to be brought together by the dogma that the church quote-unquote teaches. We are to be brought together by the teaching, the doctrine that the Bible teaches. And the thing, where, where the Bible is not clear, we may defer a little bit on some preferential issues. But where the Bible is clear, and especially concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must be unified to be able to be a community of faith. And oftentimes I've been invited to be a part of associations in this community, ministerial alliances, and to hold hands with people who do not believe the Bible and who do not teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to tell you something. I can't, go, I can't knowingly go and hold hands with the Mormon. And I can't knowingly go and hold hands with a Catholic. And I'll tell you why. Because they do not teach about the same Jesus Christ that the Bible teaches about. I'm not looking to make enemies out of friends. But listen, the thing that should bring us together in community is that we share a common faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the word of God. The Bible tells us there in verse 44, it says, And all that believed were together. It wasn't just a bunch of people who were gathering together because they liked each other. What brought them together was their common belief in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we see as a community, we are, we are unified by our message. But I see also that we are unified in our fellowship. 
We are unified in our fellowship. Verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and of prayers. Alright, now they were breaking bread early on. That's how I know the early church must have been a Baptist church. There's the potluck right there. Now I'm just kidding with you. I'm just kidding with you. But here they were. They were gathering together in fellowship. They were breaking bread together. They were, they were enjoying time together. They were praying together. They were, they were enjoying this fellowship the Bible tells us about. We live in a culture today where so many of the people in our society, and I'll even say in this church, you find your primary community in your gym membership, in your sports program for your kids. And I could go on and on down the line in a music program, in a hobby that you enjoy. And boy, those are the people that you enjoy most being around. In a healthy church, a believer ought to find his home and his community in his church. First and foremost, I'm not saying that you can't have that also, but first and foremost, it ought to be in your church. It should be commonplace for believers to like to spend time together. Now, when's the last time you spent any, any time with any other person in this, in, in this church family? That's a good question for you. Some of you say, I've spent so much time with people in this church family, I'm sick of them. <laughs> That's good. That's good for you, I suppose. But it should be common for us to enjoy to get together as the church. And this is why the small groups are so critically important for us. It's intentional time for us as a church to come together and make ourselves spend time, time together each week. It's set aside time to gather together and, and fellowship every single week. And that's why we encourage you to be a part of that. You see, we're unified in our message. We're unified in our fellowship. The Bible also says that this early church, and, and, and for us as well, we are to be unified in our stewardship. Unified in our stewardship. Look at verse 44. The Bible says, And, and all that believed were together, and they had all things common. Now that is incredible to me. They were willing to give what they had to meet the needs of the body. And I want you to listen to me very clearly here. In a healthy church, believers must be willing to give of their time, of their talent, and of their treasure to meet the needs of the body. I'm not just talking about monetary giving, but I'm talking about being willing to invest your time and abilities in the, in the, in the service of the Lord so that the ministry of the, of the church that God has called us to can be accomplished. You understand as well as I do that no one person can fulfill the mission that God has given us for the church. We all have a part to play in fulfilling the mission. We all have a part to give. We all have a place to serve. And on and on down the line, the point is God gifts us and enables us in different ways as a part of the church family so that collectively His mission can be accomplished for us as the church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Every one of you have been given, if you are a believer, you have been given a spiritual gift that God wants you to use for His glory and His purpose. Every one of you. You say, well, I'm, I don't have any gifts. Alright? Well, that may be your gift. You don't have any. No, I'm just kidding with you. Every one of you have something. A way that God's gifted you. A place that you can serve. A way that you can contribute to help accomplish the mission that God has given for us. But what we see is in a healthy church, we see that it is built by community. And my 
heart's cry and desire is that we would grow more as that community of faith, as a body throughout the course of this summer. All right? Now, number five, another characteristic of a church that's built by Jesus is that it is built by cheerfulness. It is built by cheerfulness. Now, some of us really need help in this area, okay? <laughs> Verse 46 tells us that this church, they ate their meat with gladness. We see the word gladness used. It's a Greek word that speaks of exuberant or immense joy. And to put it simply, this was a joyful church. When you got around these believers, well, they were, they were happy to be saved. They were happy to be able to come together as believers. It wasn't, oh, we got church today. Dog on it. All right? They were happy to come together and they were happy to be able to serve the Lord. They were thankful for what Jesus had done to transform their lives. And in a healthy church, it should be commonplace for believers to be joyful. But too often we walk into church on a Sunday and the atmosphere is dead and dreary. How was your week? Fine. Well, praise God. I'm not saying you have to fake it and we're all subject to have a bad week every once in a while. I get it. That's why we need to come together to encourage each other. But overall, hey, a healthy church should be a place where the joy of the Lord is present. The Bible says in Psalm 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This would be a place we're glad to come together to as believers in Jesus Christ. And by the way, hey, your joy ultimately does not come from how favorable your circumstances are. Joy is not rooted in your circumstances. The Bible teaches that joy is rooted in Jesus Christ, your connection to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Philippians 4.4, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. No matter what I'm going through, I can have joy because I have Jesus. Amen? A healthy church should be a place where the joy of the Lord is present. Alright? So maybe some of you need to remind your face what your mind and heart is telling you. I have a reason to be joyful. Okay? Especially while you're singing. Now that's a different subject. But anyways. Built by cheerfulness. Number six. A healthy church that Jesus builds is built by consecration. Built by consecration. Verse 46 says that this church, they ate their meat. And it goes on to say with singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. Now the word singleness, it comes from a Greek word that speaks of simplicity or soul devotion. In other words, this church had a single goal which they all were pursuing. They were not a church that were divided like the Corinthian church by everyone's personal agenda. They let God's word tell them what they were to do. And they committed themselves to doing what God was leading them to do wholeheartedly as a corporate body. Each individually had committed to focus on the Lord and His purpose for them as the church and to not get sidetracked by petty squabbles. And in other words, we could say that this church was consecrated. They were consecrated in their devotion. Now, consecration is a word that speaks of the separation of oneself from things that take, take you away from your commitment to the Lord. It is simplicity for Christ. That's what consecration is. In other words, it is you being willing to say, there's all these other things that can take my attention away from the thing that matters the most. But I'm going to set these things aside. And I'm going to choose to live my life focused 
on the cause of Jesus Christ. That is having a consecrated focus. That is your life being set aside for God and for His purposes. And in a healthy church, it is full of believers who have consecrated their life to the Lord. God, I'm going to live for you. Before everything else, and before everyone else, God, I'm going to live for you. And for your purpose for my life. A healthy church is composed of such believers who are focused on the Lord. And I say, there is no room for double-mindedness or hidden agendas in the church. James chapter 1 verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But one of the things that will be so detrimental to any church is when we get hung up on our own petty agendas and squabbles. And, well, I don't like that color on the wall. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness. There are souls that need to be saved. There are lives that need to be transformed. Let's get our focus on the things that matter. We need to have our focus on that. God calls us to focus on eternal things, not the temporal things that so often distract us from what really matters. Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Let our, let our affection be devoted to eternal things, not temporal things. And like Nehemiah of old, we need to be a church that's full of people who are so busy living for the Lord and accomplishing God's mission for us as a church that when other critics and, and others come along and try to distract us and pull us away from the work, we say, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down to you. I'm too busy doing what God has for me to do. I like the old story about D.L. Moody. He had a lady come up one time and criticized him for how he won people to the Lord during his evangelistic campaigns. And she said, I just don't agree with the way that you're leading people to Christ. I'm paraphrasing this story. And uh, D.L. Moody talked to her. and He said, well, how do you lead people to Christ? I'm sure that my way is not the best. How do you do it? And she said, well, well I've, I've never led anybody to the Lord. <laughs> and he said, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> All right? We're all going to face criticism. We're all going to face these kinds of things that come up. You know what? Let's be a church that decides I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm not going to allow that stuff to distract me from doing what God's given me to do. I'm going to raise my family for the Lord and I'm not going to allow the critics and those who say, well, you're just brainwashing those kids. Well, you raised them that way. They're going to grow up and sow their wild oats one day. That's what people told my parents growing up. Guess what? That day never came. Praise God. Amen. Just put out the critics and decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consecrate my life. I'm going to consecrate my family. And as a part of this church, I'm going to be consecrated in my service for the Lord. I'm just going to stay focused on doing what God's given me to do. Because a healthy church can be identified by these characteristics. It's built by consecration. Now, number seven, we'll see it's built by celebration. It's built by celebration. Verse number 47, the last verse of the chapter. We're almost there, I promise. Verse 47, read the first two words out loud with me. It says, praising God. Here's what the church was doing. They were praising God. This was a church that knew how to praise the Lord. Now, don't get in your mind that this early church was some old dead 
liturgical assembly. No, these were a body of believers. When you walked into this assembly, it was alive with praise. They knew how to praise the Lord. And the Bible says that one of the identifying qualities of this church is that they were praising God. And by the way, can I say, in a healthy church, praising God should be the norm. It should be common for you to come into a healthy church and not hesitate to utter a word of praise to God. Not hesitate to sing praise to God. Hey, even if you can't sing, alright? And God help you, some of you really can't, okay? But we can't hear you anyway, so go ahead and sing it out! Let's just have a little fun with you. But boy, you should be able to come into church, and even if you cannot carry a tune in the bucket, sing with all your might to the Lord. What well, grieves my heart when I stand up here and lead singing, and, and there are those out there that just... I don't. I, I grew up in church, so maybe, maybe just help me out with this. But I would feel more awkward not singing. Now, some of you are there, and I don't, I don't have anybody in particular in mind. But friend, a good sign of health in your life is when you finally let yourself start praising the Lord. You say, "Well, I'm singing it in my head." Well, go ahead and sing it from your mouth too. Listen, I'm not just telling you because I'm telling you. The Bible tells us to praise as the church. Look at Ephesians, your notes in Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing, and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in a healthy church. A church that's built by Jesus is a church that is composed of believers who do not hesitate to praise the Lord. And boy, that should be commonplace for us as the church. So we see it's built by celebration. Number eight, a healthy church is built by courtesy. Courtesy, verse 47. The Bible says that we're praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people. This first church was a church that got along with each other. They sought to be a blessing to their community. That word favor in verse 47 is the Greek charis. It's most often translated as grace. In the scripture, ironically. It could simply be defined as goodwill or kindness in this context. And so what we find is these believers in this early church, they were believers who had experienced the grace of Christ Himself, and they, they in exchange sought to extend the grace of Christ to others. Others within the body and others within the community around them. Can I say in a healthy church it should be commonplace for believers to treat all those within their community with a Christ-like spirit of kindness and goodwill. That should be common for the church. Jesus said in John 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have one to another. It should be a place. Now sometimes... The church can become a place where people feel like they're going to be rejected. People feel like they're going to be condemned. That ought not ever be the case. We should speak the truth, most certainly, but in love. With genuine concern for people in their welfare. Mahatma Gandhi's experience with the church is one that is very sobering for all of us to keep in mind. He started reading the Bible and became interested in Christianity as a lifelong Hindu. 
And when he walked into the first Christian church that he came to, he was rejected and treated poorly by the believers that were there because he was a Hindu. And after that experience, years later in his life, when he received all the popularity that he received, he was quoted for saying, and he said this about Christianity, he said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. May that not be the case for this community of believers. Because in a healthy church, it should be a common characteristic of the church to treat those within our congregation and those within our community with kindness. By the way, let me get really practical here. This extends to social media too. This extends to your workplace. This extends everywhere. You are a light of Christ and a testimony of what, a, what it means to be a part of Lighthouse Baptist Church wherever you go. And so be kind. And as God has shown you grace through Jesus Christ, you should extend that same grace to other people. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Can I say, if God could forgive someone like you, I think that you can do it for somebody else. You say, I'm not near as bad as they were. Well, ask God about that, okay? The point is, if God could forgive us for our sin, then we should be able to do the same thing for others, no matter what they've done for us, done to us done to us, built by courtesy. The final characteristic I see is that of a healthy church is that they are built with confidence. Built with confidence. You see, this early church was not a church that was focused on church growth. Listen, they didn't have any seminars to go to to learn the, the best new strategies about building your congregation. They didn't have any of the things that people seem to get so focused on in church communities nowadays. And instead, what they did have was they had the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God. The Bible says that they left the matter of church growth in God's hands. The last part of verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They weren't trying to Use programs, strategies, all these kinds of things to see a church built. No, they just were faithful to do what the Lord had commanded them to do. And as they preached the Word of God, and as the Spirit of God worked among them, the church grew. And it didn't grow because of their strategy. It grew because God was doing it. In a healthy church, the truth of the matter is, it's composed of people who believe that God can and that God will build His church. That's the kind of church that God has called us to be. You see, we can preach. We can witness. We can work. We can serve. We can have evangelistic campaigns. We can build buildings. We can do community service. But none of these things will accomplish anything for eternity unless God chooses to bless them. The only thing that is indispensable for the growth of the church is Jesus. That's it. By the way, you can fill a building with a bunch of people without actually growing an actual church. Right? There are stadiums all over our country that are filled weekly with people who are just going out to be entertained. We're not in the entertainment business as the church. We are in the disciple-making business as the church. 
Calling people to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the only one who can ultimately accomplish that is the Lord. And we have to trust the results to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And friend, as we are faithful to serve in God's fields of labor, we serve resting in the promise that in His due time, He will bring forth the harvest. Not every Sunday is someone saved. I'd love for someone to get saved every Sunday. It doesn't happen though. Not every Sunday is someone baptized. Not every Sunday does someone join the church. Not every Sunday do all these things happen. But the truth is, as we're faithful to serve and do what the Lord has called us to do in His time and according to His power and His working, those things will, will come and those things will happen. And a healthy church lives understanding that principle. Jesus is building His church. And the church that He is building is one where people are being saved, new believers are getting baptized, and new members are being added. The church that He is building is a church where the people are faithful, the people are joyful, they're eternally focused, they're worshipful, they're kind, and they're confident that God is at work among them. And by God's grace, may we seek to be such a church as we go forward into this summer season at Lighthouse.